Welcome to Momentum Church. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Last week, we began to look at Paul and at Paul's life. And Paul led off with his epistle to the people there in Rome. He led off with the comment, Paul, a servant of Christ. That's how he identified. He identified as a servant. And we saw that that identification as a servant came out of his love and passion for what Jesus had done in his life. Paul, he was a, a Jewish man raised up as a Pharisee. He was raised up under under the law and was passionate about the law. And as this sect of Judaism started to rise up with Jesus claiming that he was the Messiah, and we know through his death, burial, and resurrection that he was, amen? But as it started within a sect of Judaism, Paul, he rebelled against them. He come up against them to fight them because he was trying to hold back to the old ways. And with it, he would persecute Christians. On his road to Damascus to gather another group of Christians for persecution, Jesus himself arrested him, if you will, knocked him off his horse, and began to do a work in the life of Paul that we are a part of today. He began to do a work in the life of Paul, and I told you last week what he did is, he said, why are you kicking against the goats? Like, why are you fighting against this? Like, I'm trying to lead my people into what I have for them, and you're fighting against the goats. That's what leads sheep or cattle, that prod, that, 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 that prick. And he said, why are you fighting it? And I told you last week, to me, what that says is this, why are you fighting my leadership? And I'm just looking at our church folks today. Man, are we going to be led by Jesus or not? Amen. Man, that's hard. That's something I was saying about Caleb. I'm so proud of that young man. I've watched his journey the last couple years, and I've seen that he has a heart to be led. Is he perfect? No, he's young. He's a doofus. But he has a heart to be a servant of God. He has a heart to be led by the leadership of the one who has paid a price for him to have life and life that is abundant. And so we see Paul, man, this change takes place in his life and he begins to preach the gospel. And from one end of the Roman Empire to the other, that man traveled and he preached and in preaching he taught and he founded churches and those churches began to grow and he instructed leaders. There was this passion within him to nurture those who were faltering in their faith. There was a passion for him to come and rebuke the disorderly. Amen. How many want rebuke today? I'm not going to do that today. But he had this passion to set things in order. He had this passion to come and establish the church as Jesus had desired to organize the church and to help them be sustained and to challenge them, but also to bring comfort to them. So you begin to see his work amongst all these churches in Asia Minor. Wherever he went, people believed. Wherever he went, groups started to gather and dedicate their lives around the teachings and the person of Jesus. And it happened with unbelievable speed. It happened with unbelievable effectiveness. I mean, the church of Christ was taken from, from just kind of a, a small band of gathering of 120 in upper Rome to thousands and thousands and thousands in the Roman Empire. And so that's where we see Paul as he begins to write to this Roman church. As he begins to write to a church, um, um, like much of the other, the other churches that were planted, that, that, they were that, that, that they were passionate about Jesus. They were a committed people that were beginning to rise up throughout the world. And, and I look in this room and I see a room full of people that are committed, amen? I do. 
And we're rising up under the leadership of our Jesus. And Paul, as he writes this letter to Rome, we can look at this letter as a letter to us as well. And so I want to stand to our feet. We're going to go into the, uh, just one verse, and I'll have you sit down, and then I'm just going to break through the verse. Last week we read a chunk, and then we taught it. Today I'm going to teach in stride, if that's okay. And so Romans chapter 1, he starts off like this. First, I thank my God through Jesus for all of you. Man, when I read that, I'll just be honest. I can see your faces. <laughs> Pastor Paul talking to these people. I thank my God for all of you. And I just want you guys to know from your pastor, I thank my God for each of you. Amen? It's a beautiful responsibility to get to serve you. Sometimes it's a joyous responsibility. Sometimes you frustrate the opposite of heaven out of me. <laughs> but I thank my God I get to serve you. And I just, when I read Paul, I just see this pastor that, that, that has a heart for people, you know? And I want to have a heart for you. And I, and I know other pastors, I'll just be honest. I get to pastor the best people on the planet. Woo! I feel bad for them other preachers, you know? But man, I thank God I get to serve you. And here's part of why I thank God I get to serve you, just like Paul, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Amen? You have a people here that has a heart to reach people. You have a people in this room that your faith is being proclaimed. Amen? And so go ahead and have your seat, if you will. These people that Paul's speaking to, they have been set free, just like you in this room have been set free. And we have been set free to be servants of God. How many servants of God do I have in the house? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there anybody in this room that's been set free? Like literally, like, like they were captive. I don't know about y'all. There's some folk in this room that drugs, that couldn't go to bed at night until they put the needle in their arm. And I know you may not believe that, but I know the church people I serve. Amen. There's people in this room right now that apart from Jesus, you would be in a grave today, but Jesus set you free. Amen. Man, that's an awesome thing. And he set you free to be like Paul, to be a servant of God. When it comes to this idea of a servant, Paul being a servant, the Greek word is doulos, doulos. And it literally means a slave, all right? Some translations, maybe your Bible will say a bondservant, but that word doulos means a slave. And Paul understood this. He saw himself as a slave to Christ. He saw himself as one obliged to serve Jesus, as a person without exclusive rights to his own life. Slaves don't have rights, right? As a person that's indebted, if you will, as one who had been bought with a price, and we know the price shed for us was the blood of Jesus, and we have been purchased by him. And Paul would often say, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so he was a doulos. He was a slave, a servant, however you want to word it. But I think it's really, really neat when you look in Galatians, another book written by Paul, he begins to help us understand what this means by a doulos. Because what he says in that book, he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, when you read Galatians 4, 1 through 6, you're going to see that he starts to talk about the law. And the law is awesome. Jesus came to fulfill the law. But the law was good. That written 613 laws to follow. How many can follow them? You can't follow the few laws, let alone 613, right? But that law that he had, man, that, those written words, something changed. 
And that day on the road to Damascus, this law that was written on stone and then in tablet or then in parchment, this law that was written became written in his heart by the Spirit. Something started to shift. There was a contrast. This wasn't just something about rules and regulations anymore. This was something about ownership that comes out of relationship. Amy owns my heart. Amen? I don't feel obliged in a sense that, oh, but I'm a slave to love, baby. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) I am. I'm a slave to that girl. I've been following that girl around for years. I'm a slave to her out of choice. Not out of obligation in that sense of slavery, but out of choice. Now, what's beautiful is you look at Galatians 4, verse 1 through 6. I'm not going to teach into this. I'm going to teach it later when we get around Romans chapter 6. But when you look at that, it's talking about the law and that when you're under the law, you're a slave to the law. But then it says that as a slave, when you become a slave to Christ, something shifts. And Paul says you are no longer a slave, but now you're a son. Isn't that neat? And if you're a son, you're an heir of God. You know what that means? That means that if God is a God of joy, you can expect to have. If God has peace, you can have. If God has provision, you can have. Yeah, all that's at God's disposal. Man, that's the trade. I go from being a slave. God, I choose that I am your servant. I choose to follow you fully. I am obliged. I am obligated. I, I am a slave to you. No, 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 son. You're a son to me. And if you're a son, you're an heir. I think sometimes we feel like bastard children because we don't feel like sons and daughters because our service doesn't render us to be slaves to Christ. Amen? We have this optional service. And because of that, there's an insecurity within us. Are we or are we not his? But if we know we're his, man, we're an heir. Amen? Ooh, that's good. And so with it, we can see Paul, this man, understood he was no longer just a son of the law. Now he was a son of God. In the Hebrew, a son of the law is a bar mitzvah. How many has heard of bar mitzvah before? All right, I'm not sure if anybody else is Jewish in the room. But bar mitzvah, that's bar means son. Mitzvah means law or mitzvotes are the laws. That's 613. And when a boy is 13 years old, he commits himself to becoming a son of the law. Now, my boys, I did something fun with them. When they were 13 years old, I took them on a man-sized hike. I hiked Grant 14, four, I'm sorry, um, four days. We hiked 36 miles, and we came, we came out on January 1st. It never got above 33 degrees. It was, it was, it was a trip, and um, it was tough. But during those nights, I would speak into his life spiritual truths, and I called it his bro mitzvah. And so for years, Maverick's been, Daddy, when's my bro mitzvah? When's my bro mitzvah? Well, I'm, I'm doing his bro mitzvah in September. We ain't, we're not doing it. In... <clears throat> Grant may have came home. May. I don't know if this is true. He may have come home and said, Mama, I think I heard Daddy cuss for the first time. <laughs> maybe true. Maybe not. It's probably true. Uh, but a son of God, not just a son of the law. And that contrasts things from a law that's written on tablets to a law that's written on our heart. Like I said, it contrasts things from just being about rules and regulations to a freedom that is experienced through relationship. This is what happened in Paul's life. Jesus served Paul. And because Jesus served Paul, man, Paul was determined to serve his Lord. And so I want to look today at how he served his Lord. 
All right, Romans 1, verse 8 through 9. Let's keep going. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the world. Verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I serve with my spirit. Everybody put your hand right here. Ooh, he served with the spirit. You know what that says to me? That says Paul is saying, I am a servant to the core because of the gospel. This gospel that gone forth, I'm a, deep down on the inside, I'm a servant to the core. Ooh, I can't help it. The gospel compels me. And you may say, Pastor, what is the gospel? We know the gospel, it comes from the Greek word eungelion, eungelion, where we get the word evangel or evangelist or evangelism. And that idea is this, it is a message of good news. When you're an evangelist, you are a messenger of good news. That good news is the, the life that was sinless of Christ, his price paid, his death paid for our salvation because the sinless sacrifice can cover our sins. His resurrection, that I told you last week, is the power, the proof that's in the pudding that he is the Messiah. And then his second coming, which hasn't happened yet, but he's coming. Amen? That's the gospel. It's good news for us. And that good news compelled Paul to be a servant. And he said, I'm to my core, whom I serve with my spirit, everything that I have. And so he's compelled by the gospel to serve. I like the word compelled. That word compelled just means to be urged, you know. It means to drive us forward. It means something that is irresistible. I really feel if we're not compelled in our lives to live for God, we just don't realize yet what the gospel really means. We just haven't got it yet. That, that, that oh my gosh, if I, if I could just really get all that he's done for me, it would be irresistible how I follow him, amen? And sometimes we need to be taught that. We need to be reminded that. This week and next week, I'm working on that, okay? That's where we're headed this week, to help us understand how powerful and beautiful the gospel is and the revelation of who God is in the gospel. That's what we're gonna be looking at in the next couple weeks or next week. This week, I wanna lean into this idea of being compelled by the gospel to serve. That idea that Jesus has served us and that serving of Christ in our lives compels me to be able to believe what he teaches and practice what he says. That's what all Romans is. It's shown us the things to believe and how to live those beliefs out in action. And there should be a compelling to serve God. And so as I look at these scriptures, I can see three areas that Paul was compelled when it came to the gospel. The first, I see that Paul was compelled to serve through prayer, to serve through prayer. He says this, for God is my witness whom I am served with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. There's a sense within him that he needs to pray for these people. Now, here's the thing. This is a church he didn't plant. I don't know if you know that. This is a church he hasn't been to yet. Rome, some people believe that it was planted by those proselytes that were at um, Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went back to Rome with this message of the gospel of Christ. Some believe that's where the church started. But it's still a church that he has influence in. There's people that he has ministered to that are there. There's people, and he has a passion to go preach to them, to go be with them, but his preaching is going to be after his time of praying, if you will, okay? I'm getting to something with that, all right? 
But I would say this, that God's impact on our life, it should compel us to stand in the gap for others. If God has done something for us, it should compel us to stand in the gap, to be one that, that, that is concerned about others. And Paul was serving these people through prayer way before he got to serve these people through preaching. Paul was able to intercede and lift them before God. And I'm gonna challenge us as a people today, like we should pray before we preach. And you might say, Pastor Ross, I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. Every single person in this room, everyone in this room, you preach. If not in word and deed, amen. If that gospel, that good news is something to be proclaimed, we all are proclaiming that. Our lives, whether we say words or not, proclaim something. And I believe that we need to pray before that proclamation comes forth out of our life. The time with the Lord that we have, it empowers us to pour out in our lives. And it's important to have that time with the Lord because everything you do is preaching, amen? Everything you do is saying something. Everything you do should be done as unto the Lord. So that means that the work that you do, it doesn't matter what it is, you can own and run car washes, young Zach, you know, but the work you do as unto the Lord, you're preaching to people. You know that? Yeah, you are. People see the light of Jesus within you. So we need to be able to pray to be ready for the proclamation to come out of our lives. They said here, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul said he was commending them for that and he's praying for them and so when we have a life that is connected in prayer then we have what we need to pour out and so I'm just going to throw it out this way when your life is connected in prayer guess what you pour into your children differently and they hear a message of the gospel amen when your life is is connected to God through prayer it sets something different about your work day and though those, those temptations you may have to cut corners, you just can't cut corners, you know? You, you're going to dot your T's and cross your I's. I said that wrong. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> that's how you would say it. That's how you write it in Greek. No. no, but it changes everything. And so, Ross, but what is prayer? Prayer is just talking to the Lord. And I would just encourage you, before you preach, before you live, that expression of life that you have, take time with God, you know? And that might just be 10 minutes in the morning. Go to your stove and set a timer, 10 minutes. All y'all have phones, set a timer. That seems so, so, so um, um, sterile. I, well, it's something. It's okay if it's sterile. It won't be sterile long. It'll become a habit. It'll become a practice where you get quiet before the Lord. Pastor, I don't know what to say. Don't say anything then. Sit in quietness before him. Let your mind get at ease before him. Next thing you know, thoughts will start to come that you should be praying. Maybe a word will come from him that you should be walking out. Amen? But I can just see here, he has a desire to go preach, but he's been praying for these people way ahead of time. Can we live like that? Can we serve? Can we be compelled by the gospel, the good news, to say, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to take time with you. I want to be in prayer before I do my life, before words or expression of my life goes forth that becomes a message to others. And so that's the first thing I see with Paul is he served God. He was compelled to serve by the gospel through prayer. The second thing that I see he was compelled by the gospel to serve in is to serve through pouring. 
He was compelled to do ministry. He was compelled to reach others, to touch others. Romans chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. He says, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but I've been prevented so far, in order that I may come and reap some harvest amongst you as well as amongst the rest of the Gentiles. You can see there's a time for praying, but there's a time for preaching, right? There's a time to do. There's a time to minister. There's a time to connect and reach out. And what I love about Paul is he was smart enough to realize that there's things some of these people aren't going to get alone. And I'm going to tell you, there are some things in your life you'll never receive alone. He says, let me come impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. But some of us in the room, we try to walk our Christian faiths out like it's a solo sport. Have you ever seen rugby? One of my favorite moves in rugby, and I don't know anything about rugby. I just think this move is cool. They throw a ball they know is high. And then a few guys grab a guy and they throw the guy up in the air. It's the coolest thing. And these are big guys. And they fly up like they're like a ballerina. Catch the ball, hit the ground like they're a bull in a china factory. I mean, I mean but it's like a teen thing. It's like, whoo, it's awesome. There's some things you won't catch by yourself. Period. And he calls an impartation. I want to come to impart to you something. And that scares me a little bit because we have, a, a, in a Pentecostal charismatic realm, we have this teaching of impartation. And I believe in impartation. I believe in laying on of hands. But it comes across this way. Pastor has some special amazing gift. And I'm going to impart it to you. You know? I don't know. It just doesn't sound like Paul to me. Paul's a servant. He wants to impart something, but it's not like, ooh, I get to do this. Look at me. Come to me. Come to me. He's like, no, I'm coming to you. I'm going to impart something to you. And here's how I know this. Because Paul speaks of his own lack. Because he says that we may be mutually encouraged. There's a mutual reciprocity that comes when you begin to pour out. And there's a humility in your pouring. Not like I have it all figured out. Here's all that. No, but you're pouring and there's a humility in it. Guess what? You pour and pouring takes place in your life at the same time. I believe that some of the best places in a church to see that mutual reciprocity of encouragement and of impartation, I believe it happens in small groups. I do. I believe it happens in ministry teams when you're on a team that is a team you serve with, but next thing you know, it's family. You know, I, I just see that mutual, and so that mutual edification. So Paul, he's a, he's yes, he's an apostle, but he says, "I'm a servant. I just want to come serve you. I just don't hear the arrogance in him. Let me impart something to you. No, I just want to come so I can serve you and pour. And guess what? I'm going to walk away with a lot too. And so, listen, if you want to be blessed, you need to bless, right? And, 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 and I think you have to take that next step too because, well, I, I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm praying. I'm in relationship with God. But I'm not doing anything. No, no, he said, I'm compelled to pray, but I'm also compelled to pour. I want to do something. I want to pour out. So when you are a blessing, you become blessed. Yeah. When you serve others, you start to become served. And it's not the reciprocity that comes because you're earning it. 
It's the reciprocity that comes out of just a natural flow. It's what happens. Little Rebecca in the first service, she serves in our worship team. She serves in our tech team. She serves with young adults. And Rebecca, she moved this week. And she needed help. And man, that little apartment of hers got filled up with people helping her. Why? Because she serves. And she was served. She blesses and she was blessed. Does that make sense? Pastor even showed up. I didn't stay. I tried. Are you here? She had cats. There she is. Hi, sweetie. She had cats. And, um, and clean place. It wasn't like, I'm just saying. Cats are the devil. I moved 10 boxes and my hands started itching and my, my throat's going, my eyes. She's like, your eyes don't, I forget one of them said, your eyes don't look so good. I'm like, I don't feel so good. So I was like, I love you guys, but I got to leave, you know, before I kill some cats. <laughs> Oh, man. But she saw the benefit of that. It wasn't she earned it. It's just that connection allowed her to walk in a blessing. Does it make sense? You know? And I think some of us miss it. The goodness of the gospel, that message of, of a family that's been redeemed, that's going through life together. I think we miss it because we don't pour. And Paul, man, he is committed to serve through prayer. That's the religious stuff, the spiritual stuff, but also through action, through, through pouring, this receptacle. Reciprocal blessing that takes place. And so, some of you guys, I will throw this out there because this happens. Um, so, a year and a half, two years ago, I, I got bit by a tick and it gave me Lyme. And I have um, ever so often attacks. And one of the lasting things is, is stuttering. And so, it's just weird, but for about a year and a half, I get hung up on words. And so, I'll be t- like that. And um, I don't know why, kind of weird. And, um, and my little Arden will not let it slide. <laughs> I'm serious. I will be at the house and I'll, I'll, I'll like get the whatever I'm stuttering on and she'll go. She's like her mother, I'm telling But this idea of pouring to where you're being a blessing, but you're being blessed, I saw it in Southeast Asia. When Amy and I wrote the curriculum, first year and second curriculums for these pastors, to go and teach marriage in a culture of family, something that they really struggle with in that country, we never knew what was going to happen. But being there, oh, what a blessing. Like being there, we're pouring, but as much as we're pouring, we're getting poured into. I mean, it was just was so rich. But then guess what? This week, yesterday, we hosted our first marriage retreat here. How many was at the marriage retreat? Make some noise. It was good. It was awesome. You all missed it. We talked about sex. No, we didn't. Not much, not much, not much. Well, not the guys didn't. I, I have a feeling the ladies. You women, I'm telling you. I told you ladies yesterday, women are expressive in their feelings. Men aren't. So women will say some, Lord, they will say some stuff. But we hosted it yesterday, and I thought it was appropriate that this week I got a text message from our team over there. And the pastors, I can't say their names on, on recording, but the pastors, they sent me a video. And what it was is one of our second-year student, students, they took our curriculum, the whole experience, and they did it for their church. And they sent me a video showing about eight or ten couples going through this marriage seminar thing that we put together two years ago and gave them, and now they're second-year students. Oh, man, don't you know that blessed my socks off? Why? Because we got to pour and they're pouring. Like, they're not just holding on to that information. It comes in, and it goes out. They have been praying for a long time that they could reach people, 
And now there's a tool that they can pour from. So they prayed and now they are preaching or they're praying and now they're pouring, they're serving. Does that make sense? That's what happens when you begin to pour. It comes back to you. Yeah, this week I went with Pastor Rick Boudry. He's one of our retired pastors that come here. And there's no joy, greater joy I have than retired pastors that go to our church. I just love it. And Pastor Rick's been with us a good number of years. And when he came, his wife had Lewy Bodies disease, which means the proteins in her brain are overtaking the matter of the brain and it's causing cloudiness of understanding. And she passed away a few, few months ago. Love this woman. And so he and I went to lunch this week, you know, and we've seen each other, you know, many, you know, several times, but this week we went to lunch and I just wanted to encourage him. It was the 50th anniversary of he and Sally this week. My kids love Sally. My kids love Pastor Rick. I mean, like, they, like, they felt like grandma and grandpa to him, you know? And so I just wanted to be with him during that, that time, just as much for him as for, for me, you know, we love Sally. And so he had sent me a picture of <clears throat> something that Sally had written and um, he forgot to bring it to lunch, but he brought it today and gave it to me. And it's one of those things to where when we were having lunch, man, I'm being edified. He's being edified. You know, I'm there to pour into him because of Sally. And then I'm realizing how much I miss her. You know, he's pouring into me. And then obviously my mama, he's pouring into me. And like, we just had this amazing time. It's like, no, no, we are not two men crying over Chinese food. <laughs> we were two men crying over Chinese food. Yeah, we were. But he gives this to me, you know. And I want you to see something about Sally's heart because she prayed and until her health was gone, she poured. This is our prayer list and it blew my mind. Number one, Momentum Church. That's our first thing on the prayer list. Number two, Pastor Ross, Lord help this man. <laughs> Number three, the pastoral staff at Momentum Church. And what just floored me, oh, number four, the, the, the building, like we were, we were in the process of remodeling at that time. And so she said that. Number five, our family. And then she named her children and grandkids. And I was humbled by it because she listed our church people first. She listed this house first. And, and he showed me multiples of these. And every one, it was like that. She wanted you to be covered first. Is that crazy? Like, like, does she love her family? Oh, 100%. But I think Sally got it, you know? I think Sally understood that as the church goes, the world goes. And we need a strong witness in the church. And so I gotta lift that church up. It just touched my heart. And so I'm with Rick trying to have a time where I'm pouring into him. And I leave with my socks blessed off. I leave with something that I'll put in my, my file and when, when, when a church member has chewed on me, that never happens. Not twice. No, I'm kidding. I'll pull this out and I'll be reminded that Sally prayed for us and that there's other people in this house that are praying for this house. And when I say the house, I just mean the people gathered here that God would use us. Isn't that neat? She understood what it meant to pray and to preach, to pray and to pour. And so that was the, 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 one of the ways that I saw that expressed. The final way, so Paul is serving through prayer, Paul is serving through pouring. The third way that I saw in this scripture, Saul was serving through purpose, through purpose. Watch what it says, Romans 1, 14 through 16. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. 
There is this eagerness, but he has a sense of obligation. There's an obligation of God's calling that compels us to make a difference, that compels us to find purpose, that we don't just live for ourselves. We're compelled by purpose, something greater than ourselves that moves us forward. And he felt an obligation to that. What's beautiful about this obligation is we can see it's for Greek and barbarians. It's for everybody. It's, there's no escaping the goodness of God when it comes to the gospel. You know, that, you know what that means? That means Democrats. Come on, somebody. Oh, it got quiet up in here. God has love for them. Come on. Republicans, I know it's hard to believe. God has love for them. Amen. You know. And we're going to be teaching a little bit here in the next week or two about some of the things we see in our world that are so commonplace now. So I'll, I'll leave that for that day. But I'll just say, those who are straight, God has love for them. Those who are gay, God has love for them. And there's some folk in here either side of that aisle with your thoughts. I'm not coming back. No, come back. We haven't even taught about it yet. All right? I'm just saying that there is no partiality to, to, to the gospel. That message of the gospel is for everyone. And when we receive the message of the gospel, it changes. Remember I said yesterday or last week, when Jesus shows up, it changes everything. Amen? Amen? But I love how there's no partiality. God's not judging on this side. Like, like come on, all who are weary. Amen? All who are heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. He's calling all. I wish that none would perish. No, not one. There's a calling to all in the gospel. But what are we doing? And the thing is, so often though, we look at the lost and we say, what are they doing with the gospel? I'm looking at the found and saying, what are we doing with the gospel? Does that make sense? Are we praying? Are we compelled by the gospel to pray? Are we compelled by the gospel to serve or pour? Are we compelled by the gospel to find purpose that isn't trivial, but is eternal in quality? and quantity. Amen? That's some good preaching right there. And I'm going to close with this. I've got pages more, but that's kind of how these kind of teachings go, all right? And so we'll, we'll dig in, but I want to close with this. Paul makes three strong personal statements about his passion to preach the gospel or to, to move in the gospel. And, and, and the first one, I'll just say all three, verse 14, 15, and 16. He says, I am under obligation you hear that? I am under obligation. Verse 15, I am eager. I'm eager. Verse 16, I am not ashamed. And man, when I read that, those I am's, I am's, I am's, I thought, ooh, that's, that's what purpose will do. When you get purpose in your heart, in your life, it'll cause you to live definitively. Not wishy-washy. No, no, you'll be able to make some I am statements, you know? I don't know about you, I, being double-minded, it only goes so far. That, that disintegrity, that, 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 that um, 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 two sides, it just makes us weak. But man, Paul, he knew what his purpose was. Man, I, I, he, the gospel compelled him to purpose. And because of that, he can make some definitive statements. I am under obligation. I am eager. I am not ashamed. When it says I am under obligation, some of your translations will say I am bound. How many has a translation? Well, nobody has their Bibles open. That's right. We all have phones. But I am bound. That, that's, that's, that is one way of saying that. I am bound. Let me just say it this way. When you're compelled by the gospel, it causes you to want to have purpose. Purpose binds you. 
So sometimes we're wishy-washy because we're not bound by a high enough purpose. It binds you. Does it make sense? I mean, like I, I can go back to this fall when I was preparing for that race, you know? Man, I've never been so committed to what I was eating, to the gym, to running, but knowing I was gonna run 31 miles in a, one stretch compelled me. It gave me purpose. I was bound to it because I was like, I'm gonna die if I don't. You know, that purpose, it, just, it changed everything about my life during that season, you know? I mean, it was, it, it, there were sacrifices made during that season also. That's why I can't do it all year long, you know? Next fall, I'll do a, few, a couple more, you know? But, but man, it bound me to purpose. The purpose bound me, rather, to certain activities and actions and, and such. Number two, it says, he says, I am eager. That's enthusiasm. Guess what purpose will do? Purpose will inspire you. Purpose, if you're not living an inspired life, go to purpose. Like, what, what is my purpose? And he's compelled by the gospel, that message of the good news to get it to people. But what purpose are you compelled to? And, and, and if it's a strong enough purpose, you will be enthusiastic. You will be eager. Does that make sense? Amen? And so I want to challenge you with that. And then the final one, he says, I am not ashamed. When it comes to purpose, purpose gives you something worth believing in. And, and I would have to say that if I don't have that same passion for the gospel, do I really believe in the gospel? This message that Jesus changes everything. And so I want to challenge us as God's people to do some inventory this week, to ask ourselves, what am I bound to? Because what I'm bound to, that purpose I'm grabbing a hold of, it's what's going to keep me moving forward. It's what I'm going to become enthusiastic about, what I'm eager about. What inspires me? And in that, as I move forward, it's that which I'm not ashamed of, you know? See, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I've, told, I've joked about this before. Every CrossFitter, vegan, and ultra runner, mm, you know what they're passionate about. They are not ashamed. You can't talk to one for, for two minutes without hearing it, right? Myself included. <laughs> It's just something about that, that enthusiasm, that purpose that drives. And next thing you know, it's coming out in your mouth and you're speaking this stuff. And next thing you know, you're not ashamed. And, and man, the reason why though, I believe these statements when it comes to us and the expression of God in the earth that he wants to go through us, the reason why I believe these affirmations are so striking is that they are in direct antithesis so often to the attitudes that many of us in the contemporary church have. The, the gospel doesn't compel us. It's something that we experienced and then we forget about it. No, the gospel, that message of life change that he gave you, oh, it should drive you forward with purpose. Amen? Making you live different, pray different, act different, walk different. That's what Paul was saying. And we saw last week, then no matter what came his way, shipwrecks and beatings and all sorts of things, man, he counted it joy. And he continued to move forward in what God had. And so I want to encourage us today just to grab a hold of that concept of being compelled by the gospel. And what does that look like in our lives in regards to purpose, in regards to prayer, serving, and moving in that purpose? Amen? Close your eyes just for a moment. <clears throat> if 
Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for Pastor Paul. God, we thank you that he has shown us by example what he finds to be important. And Lord, we know that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words that you've spoken to the church, not just to Rome, but to us. And so Lord, we thank you for showing us what you deem important. Lord, I praise you for that relationship we have with you that changes everything. Let us be a people that follow your leadership and be a people, Lord, that enter into relationship with you through prayer, that you might fill us, that we might pour, that you might pour in us so that we can pour out in the purpose that you have for us. Lord God, that purpose isn't just in a pulpit. It happens more, Lord God, in their lives, in their workplace, with their families, on the ball field. Let them be the preachers you've called them to be as they serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, give God big praise. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.